All right. Here we go. Well, it's been, it's been like a month since we've been in here because we had two weeks with the missionaries, then I was sick. So I'm going to do some, we're going to do some review. That's mainly for my sake, not for yours. Well, no, it is for you. But I was like, I don't even know what we're talking about in this class. Um, so thank you for those of you who are praying for me. I was really sick. Keep praying. I'm still not, physically I feel totally fine, but my ear is still messed up and it's ringing and I don't know. It's kind of frustrating because it's been like almost four weeks, almost four weeks now, but it is what it is. So, um, but it's good to be back. We'll um, do some review and then we'll cover what we're talking about this morning, which is mainly looking to Christ, looking to the Lord. Next week, we'll look at um, Esther Smith's book, um, Renewing Your Mind, or Still in Quiet Mind, something like that I mentioned. Um, So that'll be fun. And then the week after that, we're actually all going to be together in the sanctuary. Um, And I'm going to kind of do a recap. Okay, we've talked about this for eight weeks now. How do we package it, kind of move forward, kind of help everyone? Summary, but also where do we go from here? So let me pray. We'll do some review, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, the rain that our state desperately needs. Thank you that um, you have grace um, and that you freely um, dispense it um, towards people who do not deserve it. Um, Thank you for who you are, um, your love towards us, your loving kindness, your patience. Lord, I just pray as we continue to work through um, introspection and how we counsel ourselves and help others. Um, Lord, I just pray that we would ultimately glorify you, um, that we would be um, focused on your word and what you would have for us to do, um, both in our own lives and how we help others. So we ask that you would bless this time, and you're going to pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> like I said, some review. Um, we've, we've moved, I think this is week seven, um, six weeks, we, we've moved all over the place. Um, really now we're kind of focusing on how we handle and how we talk to ourselves, how we work out our theology um, in practice. Um, I've mentioned this quote tons of times um, from Lloyd-Jones working through the Psalms, um, saying that we need to learn what he learned. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life, especially in this area of introspection, spiritual depression, is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That's really what we need to do is be proactive rather than reactive. Let me put this plainly and bluntly in order that I may emphasize it even at the risk of being misunderstood. There's a sense in which the one thing that these people, those suffering from introspection, spiritual depression, there's one thing that these people should do if they're in this condition. What they must not do is pray to be delivered from it. Um, You must stop praying at times because your prayer is just going to be reminding you of the problem in the first place. So he says you must stop praying and think. Work out your doctrine. And that's what we've been doing. We've been working out this gospel doctrine, right? Talking about fighting the good fight of the faith, dealing with sin. We looked at um, a couple of weeks ago. That's what we're doing. We're working out our doctrine, working out our theology. Um, We talked about how um, typically with most of these issues, it's something um, sin-related, right? I mean, I, I went back to it. It's like, what's the number one cause? Remember I put sin on big font in the screen. I think that's typically what it is. You know, something that you either did before you came to Christ, something in your past that's really bothering you, or something maybe that you did even as a believer, and that's got you down in the dumps. And so we looked at 2 Corinthians 7, (coughs) a real helpful um, passage on this. Verse 10, for godly grief 
produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Real helpful passage dealing with um, thoughts, sorrow, grief. Um, how do we respond um, to sin? I argued from this passage there's two types um, of grief, right? Godly grief, worldly grief. Let me put all these up here. Um, and we spent time examining the cause and effects of both, right? Um, godly grief, uh, something that ultimately is brought about by God, grief according to God. This is what God wants you to experience. God doesn't want you to sin, but when you sin, you don't wallow in self-pity, right? That's worldly grief. That leads to death. Whereas godly grief, no, leads to repentance. Um, excuse me, repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You're longing to be free from that, to get away from it. Um, and so we looked at the cause and effects of both of those. And then this was a summary. Um, again, I think it was like three or four weeks ago. I thought this was real helpful. Um, I think godly grief <coughs> deals with this kind of self-examination, okay? Asking questions of yourself. Why am I responding this way? Why did I do that? Um, how can I live righteously? What's the right thing for me to do now, okay? And that produces that repentance, without regret, okay? That's godly grief. Worldly grief, on the other hand, is kind of this introspection that makes condemning statements. I'm pathetic. I can't believe I did that. Um, you know, I, I'm not a good Christian. Stuff like that, where it's just so self-focused, okay? Worldly grief is focused on self. Godly grief is focused on the soul in relationship to God. It starts there and then moves to the soul. And so that is kind of summary where we've been the last four or five weeks, basically, but it feels like months ago, because it kind of was months ago. Um, now we're finally turning this, this final chapter, moving from introspection to Christ uh, inspection, which that's not a real word, um, but it's cute, okay? It is now. It's, it's going to be in the Oxford Dictionary next year. Um, <clears throat> from Christ, introspection to Christ inspection. Maybe you remember this um, Spurgeon quote from many, many moons ago. Too many wound themselves by studying themselves. And then he lists how people struggle with feelings, doubts, assurance, all this stuff. And he ends with, forget yourself and think only of Christ. Mellinger says in his book, go to Christ, behold his glory. Let self-absorption give way to Christ-absorption. So godly grief, what we talked about, right, 2 Corinthians 7, that leads us to look to Christ. That's what it produces. It produces repentance. It leads to salvation. It gets our eyes off of ourselves and to the cross, much like Christian in Pilgrim's progress, okay? It's as he looks to the cross that the burden of um, guilt and sin falls off. And so we likewise need to follow in his footsteps. We need to look to Christ, look to the cross. We don't sit there and think about our burden. We go to the cross and get rid of it. And so I want to start by saying this is where I, I left off, so maybe um, some of these verses might be review. Um, but I just want to say the Lord uses a variety of means in our growth in godliness, okay? He uses a variety of means in our growth in godliness. It's not usually a straight line, you know, kind of cookie cutter. Everyone's the same. Um, no, each and every one of us is different, right? We have different trials, different uh, life situations, you know, with our relationships. Um, and so our sanctification, yes, God is conforming us to the image of his son. But sometimes that's, you know, it's growing more aggressively. It's more exponential. And sometimes um, it's, it's slower. And so it looks different. We're all in that process. But this is God's will for us, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. He's going to produce this 
work. God's will for us is not that we would be happy, but that we would be holy, okay? Now, I would argue that there is great joy and happiness in being holy, okay? Um, But we get that confused if we think, you know, God's ultimate goal for me is just that I would be a happy, all-the-time Christian. No, there's difficult moments. Those moments of self-examination, asking questions of yourself, oftentimes are really painful, right? I mean, examining sin in our own lives is not a joyful thing in and of itself. There's joy on the other side when we turn from it. But this is God's will. And ultimately, as 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, this is something that, uh, this work of sanctification is something that Christ does. You know, sanctification is not just the, your side of the equation. Yes, you have responsibility, but even Christ is the one at work in you, right? Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, right? United with him, union with Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's all in the person and work of Christ. We're being made holy because we are in him who is holy. Does that make sense? Right? We have been justified and united with him. And so because this, you know, sovereign God is sanctifying us, I want to make the point that everything that happens to us happens for a reason, okay? Whether it's, it's good, bad, um, you know, hard, easy, happy, sad, whatever it is, everything happens that happens to you has significance, okay? God is using all of these things. Um, I don't know if we have some more chairs. Maybe we can move some. We should have some somewhere. There's a couple over here. Sorry. We, some of the guys came in this morning and a bunch of chairs were gone, so we don't know where they are. They ran off to, so we have these, these blue chairs. Um, so we might be able to, to get some more. <coughs> oh, they got took for a party. There you go. So we'll, we'll try and get some more if we can. Um, And so, yes, God is sanctifying us. He's using a variety of means. I wanted to turn to Hebrews 12. Um, If you want to turn there, I'll have it up on the screen as well. Um, This is a helpful passage. Again, we looked at this like three or four weeks ago. Just want to move through it quickly. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9 here. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, that's God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so you notice, verse 10, the purpose of all this is what? That we may share in his holiness, okay? He's conforming us to the image of his son, that we would be holy. He's disciplining us. He's training us. He's instructing us. He's bringing us up. That same word for discipline in this passage is the same word um, derived from child, okay? He's training us as sons. If we are children of God, and we are, then God is going to instruct us. This is what parents do for their, their children. And so I left off here. I'd say, you know, for those of you that are parents, hopefully you're not, you know, disciplining your kids just for the sake of of disciplining them, right? Like there's an end goal in mind. Like it's like, hey, don't do this because it's actually going to be better for you if you don't touch the stove, okay? Like don't do that. 
I'm not hitting your hand because, you know, just to hit your hand because I'm angry. It's no, don't do that because this is going to be a lot worse if you do this. Okay. And so there's a purpose behind the discipline. There's a why behind the what of the discipline. So it may be painful in and of itself. Verse 11 is a comfort to me. Notice that. But later, later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? It's not instant gratification, right? The Lord is working on us and later he conforms us to the image of his son in glorification fully. And so this is why he graciously and oftentimes reveals our sin to us, even though it's painful in the moment. He cares about our holiness. He cares about our sanctification. Um, I think probably most common for us um, is probably spiritual pride, right? Um, I mean, ultimately, I think you can trace all sin going back to pride, but, um, you know, we're in a really healthy church. You know, it's solid. We're, you know, evangelical. We're reformed, you know, some might say. We're, uh, we're solid, right? And it can really be when we seriously examine ourselves, we realize the spiritual pride that maybe we didn't even know that we had, right? And it's when we seriously examine ourselves that we see um, our sin. And so don't wallow in that. Preach the gospel to yourself and go to Christ. I wanted to mention here, I wasn't sure, I wanted to, this, I was talking to Mark about this months ago, and I wanted to mention this. I thought this was interesting. We were talking about how, um, you know, sin in the Christian life, okay? And so let's just say, you know, you're, you think you're running the Christian life well, okay? You're just thriving, whatever, you're doing really well in your Christian walk, you think, okay? But there's some hidden sin that maybe it wasn't even revealed to you. Or you're like, oh, it's just a little thing, right? I'm just angry a little bit towards my wife and I just lash out. You know, it's, it's not really that big of a deal, okay? And so you think you're doing well. You know, you have assurance of salvation. You're, you're walking. You're striving in the faith. You're, you're doing really well. Meanwhile, God is displeased, right? Because you have some sin that you have not dealt with, okay? Then... God reveals that sin to you, okay, and you've lost your joy, you've lost your assurance, you're, oh my goodness, what have I done, all this stuff, but meanwhile, God is pleased. You see the, the disconnect between those two? And so I think it's helpful when we realize, you know, just because, I mean, when God reveals sin to you, that is painful in and of itself, but God is more pleased now that you have seen it and you've turned from it than he was before. You guys see that? I think sometimes we get that confused, um, and we need to realize, okay, actually, yes, this is painful in and of itself, but God revealed this to me, and he is pleased, right? And so, I, I don't know, that was helpful for me personally. Hey, yeah? Little sins is like a worldly, <coughs> God doesn't say, God right? doesn't have little sins. Right? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 I, I don't mean it that way. No, I think, no, no, I'm just clarifying, like, yeah. Yeah, no, we, that's our term that we have little sins and big sins. Right. There's the respectable sins. Yeah. Jerry Bridges has a book on that, right? Um, gossiping, right? Oh, you know, we're not really talking about this. Um, yeah, no, for sure. There is no such thing as a little sin. We make excuses because in our minds it is a little sin. Well, I didn't murder anyone. Sure, I was angry and I wanted to beat him up, right? Um, yeah, no, very, very true, right? Um, so, yeah, I wanted to mention that. So don't despair. The Lord uses a variety of means to grow us in our sanctification. He'll expose our weakness, expose our sin painfully to get us to look to him. I think it was Thomas Watson, his old dead Puritan. He said something like, when God lays men on their backs, then they look up to him. It's a real, real helpful illustration, right? It's when we're laid down and we're just 
down in the dumps and we're just despairing, then we look to God. Okay? And so realize that the Lord uses a variety of means. Okay, next passage here. <clears throat> I want to move through this kind of quickly. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, 14. I think this is another one that will be of a comfort. This is kind of all preliminary stuff as we look to Christ. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest. This is Christ who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, because that's true, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. And so it's not that, I love this passage so much, it's not that Christ is in heaven going, my goodness, I can't believe it with that pathetic loser, he's done it again. Right? That's not what's going on. The Lord is not saying that at all. No, we have a high priest who, is, who, well, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's not unable. That means he is able. Because in every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he's been tempted to an even greater extent because he never gave in, whereas we give in, right? And so we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us when we fall. Right? Verse 16, let us then, because that's true, the reason we can confidently go before his throne and ask for grace is because he understands, he sympathizes. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Super comforting, right? Super comforting. So comfort one another. Comfort yourself with this verse. Then even, you know, in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, he's talking about, um, you know, earthly um, high priests, you know, every high priest uh, from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Okay, that's us, okay? Christ is an even greater, far greater high priest than any human high priest that we had. How much more can he deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, which we are, right? So take comfort in that. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says that a bruised reed, this is talking about the suffering servant um, um, in context, Isaiah 40 through like 55 is, you know, putting Christ in there prophetically. And he's saying, it says of Christ that a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So if you're a bruised reed or if you're a, you know, candle that's barely burning, Christ isn't going to put that out. He's not going to snap that reed, right? He deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Christ does not beat his bride. He loves his church and laid down his life for her. That means that all who come to him by faith will not be turned away. Okay, so that was just an introductory point. Okay, but it all kind of goes to who Christ is. Okay, and going to him. Okay, so I want to kind of turn a corner here. Right, part of this Christ inspection. Right, is just reminding ourselves of some of these Hebrews passages. There's a lot more. Um, one of the hard things of this class is cutting out what not to say. Right. Um, but Christ is our great high priest interceding for us 24 seven. Okay. So take comfort in knowing that, but what does it mean practically? Okay. Sometimes we'll just say, Hey, you need to get your eyes off yourself. Look to Christ. Okay. What does that mean? Like, how do you do that? 
Okay, that's what I want to get into practically. How do we do that? Okay, I would agree with Lloyd Jones here. There's only one way to get rid of self, and that is you should become so absorbed in someone or something else that you have no time to think about yourself. Okay, and this is where you know John Piper and Desiring God. This is where you know they're really focusing on their ministry, wanting to desire God, being um, you know what God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him or whatever their slogan is, right? That, that's where they're getting at, being absorbed in Christ. And um, there's an old book on this. Maybe you've heard of it by uh, Thomas, Ch- uh, Thomas Chalmers, I think is how you say his name. Um, the Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I don't know if you guys have heard of that book. Um, I actually haven't read it. I've read little portions of it. Um, but he says, I don't have it here, just listen. He says, we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out Okay, so if we want to keep the world out, we know of no other way to keep the world out of our hearts than to keep in our hearts the love of God. Okay, so to get the world out, we need to keep the love of Jesus in, right? And that's what he talks about in his book. And I would argue even that worldliness, an aspect of it, is the sinful introspection where we have such a high view of ourselves. So how do we get rid of that? By keeping the love of God in your heart. Okay, and how do you do that? Piper, he gave a real helpful illustration, at least it was helpful to me, of an empty, like, glass science beaker. You guys remember, you know, in like, I don't know what grade you're in, you have those little glass science beakers, and it's like, mix this with this, okay? You know, just one of those little glass beakers, okay? Let's just say it's empty. What's the best way to get the air out of it, okay? I mean, if it's empty, there's nothing in it. There's still air in it, okay? Maybe for those of you who are homeschooled like me, you didn't have the joy of doing these science experiments. Um, (laughs) But let's say, you know, you've got that. How do you get the air out, okay? And there's, you know, you're in this science room, and it's like, okay, maybe, you know, you can hook up the suction thing and suck it all out. It's actually kind of a trick question. The easiest way to get the air out is to put something else in it. Like, just put water in it, okay, or dirt, okay? Put something else in, okay? And that's essentially Chalmers' point. You fight worldliness not by focusing so much on getting the love of the world out, but by getting the love of Christ in, okay? Filling your heart, filling your mind with something else. And so Spurgeon, he also comments on this. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he's constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. And so practically, it goes back to looking to him. You, that's how you get rid of your introspection, not by focusing so much on, you know, getting that out, but getting Christ in. Okay, so practically, how do we do that? Let me give you a few ways, and this is the blanks on your notes, okay? A few ways how we can move from introspection to christ inspection. Um, a couple of pre- preliminary points. Sorry, I jumped the gun. There's a couple of points. Um, I think it's vital to start here. This is, you guys are like, ah, that's, duh, that's obvious, okay? Number one, you need to start with biblical truth, okay? You need to start with biblical truth. That's how you need to comfort yourself, okay? Biblical truth. Maybe that means you read a big theology book, or maybe you're reading some old dead guy, like John Owen, okay? Regardless of what you're doing, Take counsel from that with your Bible open, okay? Um, I mean, you can receive comfort from a Jesus um, and a gospel by reading a Joyce Meyer's book, okay? 
but you're not receiving comfort from the Jesus, from the gospel, from the Bible, okay? So just realize that. Like, people can superficially comfort their conscience. Um, I mean, you know, our consciences are seared, so we need to make sure the comfort that we're getting and giving uh, is biblical, okay? That's just a preliminary point. Number two, I'll just say this. When we look to Jesus, everything we do, everything I'm going to say, presupposes faith, okay? It presupposes faith, and Lloyd-Jones spends a whole chapter on this in his book, and this is vital. Faith is not this automatic, like, magical thing where it's just like, oh, now I'm just going to feel better. You have to exercise faith. We have to put our faith to work. No, I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. I'm going to put my faith into motion, into operation. I'm going to proactively remind myself. I'm going to preach to myself that I believe this is true. You see that? Like, if you don't have faith, none of this is going to help. We walk by faith, not by sight. We continue to apply our faith to Christ in your specific situation, whatever it might be. Okay, and so with those two kind of uh, preliminary points in mind, how do we proactively move from introspection to Christ's inspection? Number one, remind yourself of the gospel, okay? Remind yourself of the gospel. And respond in thankfulness. You remind yourself of the gospel and you respond in thankfulness. Turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, I mentioned we would look at this psalm a couple weeks ago. You remind yourself of the gospel, you respond in thankfulness. Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. We don't know the specifics um, of the psalmist's condition. We don't know exactly what has been going on, but we do know, based on the context, he's down in these depths and he's crying out because of sin. I mean, you see all these words, right? Pleas for mercy, uh, iniquities, he needs forgiveness. You know, with him there's plentiful redemption. There's some type of sin in his life that is causing him to be down. And so if you're down in the depths of, you know, this introspective guilt and you don't know what to do, You join with the psalmist right here. You cry out to the Lord. Look at what he does. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So if you're down, don't go somewhere else, okay? Don't block that out with, okay, I'm just going to numb my brain with Netflix, okay? Don't do that. Go to the Lord immediately. Cry out to him. Don't cry out to anyone or anything else. You go to the Lord. Run to him. Verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If he marked iniquities, none of us would stand. That's the point. No one would stand. There's no hope in and of ourselves to stand before God. But, verse 4, with the Lord there is forgiveness. He is the one through Christ who has made a way that we can stand before him. Not with the righteousness of our own, but the imputed righteousness of Christ. That is how we stand before God. As Hebrews 4.16 said earlier, because of Christ, we can draw near confidently to the throne of grace. And so there's forgiveness for all of your sins, past, present, future, whatever it might be. There is forgiveness in Christ, in his atoning work. And so we must be found in him. And that should cause us to fear him, right? The end of verse 4, that you may be feared. This is not a fear of dread, but a righteous fear of love and wonder at the greatness of God. 
That is the fear that we have. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Okay, so for our introspective purposes, that's what we're talking about, okay, in this class. This is a vital part of this passage. Remember Psalm 77? Psalm Psalm 77 verse 2 says, my soul refuses to be comforted. Like he's tried all these things. He's tried prayer. He's tried going to the Lord. He's tried filling his mind with scripture. He's tried all these things. And he just says, my soul refuses to be comforted. So what do you do? Do you move on to something else? No, you stay there. You stay there. And that's what the psalmist does in the rest of Psalm 77. And here in Psalm 130, what does he say? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. I'm going to wait here and keep doing what I know I need to do until my soul is comforted. Until the Lord graciously, by his Holy Spirit, moves through the word and brings me comfort. Don't move on until that happens, right? He's eagerly waiting for this. More than watchman for the morning. He says it twice. And I would just say this. Um, Owen mentioned this in one of his passages. You know, the watchman waits for the morning and he knows the sun is going to come up, right? That never changes, right? Until Christ returns, right? Well, just know that comfort is coming sure as the sun is coming up, okay? Keep preaching to yourself that the Lord will bring comfort. Owen adds, it often so falls out in our communion with Christ, our you know, relationship, our walking with him, that when private and public means fail and the soul has nothing left, but waiting silently and walking humbly, Christ appears, that his so doing may be evidently of grace. And so he's saying, maybe you're it's just, I've tried everything. I've tried everything in private. I've tried everything in public. The church ain't even helping me at this point. I'm doing everything I possibly can. And it's when the soul is left and has nothing but just waiting for the Lord, that's when he appears, that it may be, you know, made evident that it's not works, but it's the grace of Christ, Right? So I thought that was, that was comforting. So don't move past that. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Okay, and so Psalm 130 is just one example of how you preach the gospel to yourself. Okay, you don't know where else to turn? You're down? Go to Psalm 130. Okay, walk through it, pray through it. Okay, that's what you do. You remind yourself of the gospel. So number one, proactively, how do you move away from introspection to Christ inspection? You remind yourself of the gospel. You respond in thankfulness. This is the point I was thinking, meditating on this. The importance of a spirit of thankfulness. um, It's amazing. Romans 1 lists all these sins, right, for why mankind is condemned. One of the first ones is actually that they're condemned because they did not give thanks to God. And so I think it's important that we set aside specific time, whether it's daily, maybe weekly, to just thank the Lord. We need to slow down and thank the Lord for all of our blessings, okay? We need to have a specific spirit of thankfulness. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, study the attributes and works of God. Study the attributes and works of God. Respond in wonder. Respond in wonder. So this is how you gaze, you look to Christ. This is, I need to give credit where credit's due. I've mentioned John Owen a lot. John Owen has been very helpful in my own life personally. Um, People say he's hard to read. Not really if you read the little Puritan paperbacks, okay? 
Banner of Truth, Puritan paperbacks. I could not more highly recommend Communion with God and The Mortification of Sin. If you read one book this year, you should read The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Get the Puritan paperbacks edition. I, the guy will probably move you to tears because he knows your soul <laughs> in dealing with sin. He's so biblical that it's just like, this guy knows me. And it's painful, but at the same time, it's incredibly comforting. Okay? And so a lot of this I'm just taking from Owen. Communion with God, the mortification of sin. Get the little Puritan paperbacks edition. Um, this is how you move away. You become so enamored with another. So you think about the greatness and the loveliness of God. You think about him. You can think about his holiness. Think about his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. You can think of all of these attributes. Or you could just simply think of Christ's love. Think of the love of God. This is just a couple of points I wanted to make on this. How do you do this? Well, his love is eternal. God's love is eternal. God fixed his love on his people before the foundation of the world. It had absolutely nothing to do with any merit we had, but just out of his will. He chose to love us. God's delight was in his people before time began. <clears throat> I was just talking to someone Thursday or Friday night. I heard this in a sermon. So if you're like, wow, this is an amazing point. It did not come from me. Hardly anything you hear, if it's amazing, it did not come from me. Um, if you want a really rich doctrinal point of how theology can comfort, think about, <clears throat> think about do you want to know why Christ will never stop loving you? It's because he actually never started. God set his love on his people before time began and eternity passed. I mean, that boggles our mind, okay? But his love was before the foundation of the world and before time began. If you want to know one of the greatest proofs, well, Christ will not stop loving his people is because he actually never started. He continually will love his people. And so when you're down and it's like, man, is he going to be, you know, through with me because of what I've done? No, he knows you. He knew everything that you're going to do and he set his love on you. That's an amazing point. So you meditate on that. His love is free. Not only it's eternal, it's free. I already mentioned this. The only reason God loves us is because he wills to love us. There's nothing in us that causes him to love us besides his will. His love is unchangeable. Our love constantly changes. It's growing or maybe it's shrinking for one another. His love is ever constant. And so you could go, I mean, you could go on and on. You could see how you can meditate on God's love and how that brings comfort and how you just want to think only of Christ. You study the attributes and works of God. Number three, I just say this, you look to Christ specifically. Look to Christ specifically, and you respond by abiding in him. <clears throat> look to Christ specifically, respond by abiding in him. I'm making, you know, going to John 15 here, right, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. John 15, 4 makes it abundantly clear. Our faithfulness, our fruitfulness in the Christian life depends on our abiding in him. Right? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So if you want to be fruitful in the Lord's work, we need to abide in Christ. And this abiding in Christ is active. Okay? It's practical. Okay? It's not a passive mystical thing. I, I really like this from Lloyd-Jones. 
He says, now the word abiding makes people become sentimental. <laughs> they think of abiding as something passive and clinging. I don't really know what he means by that. Um, but, you know, he's an old English guy. Okay? But it's something passive. No, it's not. To abide in Christ is to do what he tells you positively and to pray without ceasing. Abiding is a tremendously active thing. Okay? It's really helpful. It's not some mystical thing up there. It's to be near to him. It's a special Holy Spirit brought about activity. How do we actively abide in Christ? I think in part this goes back to our anthropology. Remember this from months ago? <laughs> I don't think this was last year. This was all this year. But right? Remember this, our understanding, our affections, our will, right? In each of our faculties, we need to abide in Christ. So let me just tease this out. Number one, we abide in him by using our mind, our understanding. That's how we abide in him. We contemplate and we think much of him, right? What we're all striving for is 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of of the Lord are being transformed into that same image, okay? So we actively, that's how you grow in sanctification. You gaze at Christ. What does that mean? You think about him. You set your mind on the person of Christ, right? You think that he is truly God, and we know that he's truly man who became a servant for us in our salvation. You think about his person. You think about the offices of Christ, that he is our great high priest, that he is our king. I mean, there's so many different ways you can think about him. You think about the merit of Christ, right? He is one who was, as Hebrews says, what tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. He's the spotless, sinless lamb of God. Think about his merit. You think about the death of Christ, right? In our place, he died for our salvation. He bore the wrath of God in our place. And so you set your mind to think much of Christ, and you meditate on these truths. You abide in him by using your will. Right? I'm actually jumping, I'll come back to affections, but your will, your doer, you're proactive, you diligently seek out how we can obey the Lord. What does the Lord require of me every moment throughout the day? What would the Lord have me to do? What would Jesus do is actually a pretty good like, wristband thing to have. Like, what would Jesus do? We ponder, we meditate. Um, Owen writes on this, it was real helpful. He says, we should, every one of us, think often of this. This is kind of the what would Jesus do? What is it that Christ requires of me personally in any way of duty and obedience? Daily, what would the Lord have me to do? So we contemplate Christ with our mind. We think much of him. We deliberately tell ourselves actively that we need to respond in obedience. And then third, we abide in him with respect of our affections. We abide in him in our affections. There needs to be a love and a delight in Christ. And this isn't something where, you know, just the warm and fuzzies just happen all of a sudden. You need to tell yourself to love him, right? It's the same thing. I mean, you guys do this in marriage. There are times where it's just like, oh, I don't like you right now or something like that. And you tell yourself, that's sinful. That's wrong. No, I'm choosing to love you and cultivate those God-honoring affections. And I would just say, usually we don't have that spiritual comfort unless you know, the Holy Spirit brings about those Holy Spirit, you know, that joy, right? Like, that's where it comes from. Actually, the comfort in our spiritual life is that joy, okay? So in all these faculties, we need to proactively abide in Christ. I'm out of time. I just want to end on, on one last thing here. Um, thinking of Christian and the cross um, by reading a section of, of Owen's communion with God. <clears throat> He's been writing about kind of our continual, our actual 
interchange or communion with God. Okay? And how does that happen? And he starts with, um, number one, that believers need to have a continual sense of the guilt and evil of sin. Okay? We need to have that. We need to understand the sinfulness of sin. We should consider our sins in light of God's law and see you know, if God would mark our iniquities, as Psalm 130 says. We're in trouble. Okay? And then he says this, by faith, believers consider, and we need to rest in the fact that Christ has undergone the punishment for those sins. And then we take up the, you know, the light yoke of Christ and we give him our burden. And then we forsake, we lay our sins down at the foot of the cross. We're done with those. And then by faith, we continually receive afresh the righteousness of Christ, which he has brought about for them. And he says, this is an everyday thing we do. And the reason why I want to say this is that um, in Pilgrim's Progress, I don't think Bunyan is just saying that this is like a one-time thing. I think continually this is what we need to do. That in our Christian life, as a result of sin, we might get some more burdens. And you get rid of your burden by going back to the cross. Okay? We continually do this. Now, I just want to end with this. This is an amazing comfort. Maybe it's because I like old, dead English Puritans. But I thought this was super comforting. Okay. He anticipates an objection. I'll just read this quote. Objection. It may be said, surely this course of procedure can never be acceptable to Jesus Christ. Everything he just said. What? Shall we daily come to him with our filth, our guilt, our sins? Should we daily do this? May he not, will he not bid us keep them to ourselves? They are our own. Shall we be always giving sins and taking righteousness? Answer, there is not anything that Jesus Christ is more delighted with than that his saints should always hold communion with him as to this business of giving and receiving. It's amazing. And he lists all these reasons on how we actually insult the person and work of Christ if we think we need to deal with sin on our own. It's amazing comfort. Christ is delighted and we honor him by this communion with him by bringing our sins to him daily and taking righteousness from him. So abide in Christ. Look to him. Okay, That's how we proactively... I mean, that's just a couple of reasons. I could have gone on. There's all kinds of things we can do how we proactively move from introspection to Christ's inspection. We need to focus our eyes on him. Okay? So that's this week. Next week... Um, like I said, we're going to look at Esther Smith's book, A Still and Quiet Mind. That's what it is. A Still and Quiet Mind. This should be a real practical. I'm trying to get real, you know, rubber hits the road. Um, her book is basically 12 strategies for getting rid of unwanted thoughts. Okay. And I thought that might be helpful um, for some of you guys or maybe counseling one another. How do we biblically, some of these thoughts that we don't want. And so maybe you'll be like, hey, that sounds like a good book. Um, just wait next week. I'll, I'll, we'll go through it. And then maybe if you want the book, get the book. Okay. You're dismissed.